Welcome to the 202nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. If you're an owner of agricultural land who doesn't farm but wants to see it taken care of utilizing high standards of stewardship, finding a good renter can be difficult. For one thing, Farming methods that build soil health can take three or more years to show results, and many leases are short-term arrangements. So, what incentive does a renter have for utilizing cover crops, diverse rotations, no-till, managed rotational grazing, and other methods that sustain and improve the land in the long term? It turns out there are ways to set up leases and lines of communication that not only meet the landowner's stewardship goals, but benefit the farmer who's renting the land. During a recent series of Land Stewardship Project workshops, farmers, landowners, and conservation experts talked about ways to develop landlord-renter relationships that result in practices that are good for the soil, as well as agronomically and economically viable. After one of the workshops, I chatted with landowner Juliet Tompkins, as well as Kristen Brennan, a soil health specialist with the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. First, Tompkins and I discussed how she and her husband, Prescott Berg, have set up lease agreements with four different beginning farmers on their property in western Wisconsin. Tompkins and Berg, who for many years operated a grass-based livestock operation on their land, got out of farming several years ago. But then, in an attempt to help out the next generation of farmers, around three years ago, they started leasing small parcels out. When they started renting the land out, Tompkins and Berg wanted to make sure that the soil stewardship they had practiced would continue. Juliet shared with me how they have used a combination of research, clear communication, and written leases to do just that. So, Juliet, we just had a, a really great workshop here for uh, mostly for non-farming landowners who are looking for information on how to work with renters and maybe set up an arrangement where that land is being farmed in a way that fits their kind of stewardship ethic and, and, and kind of the way that they would like that land to be taken care of in the long term. You really gave a nice summary of the situation you're in. You had farmed, and uh, then you and your husband Prescott had decided to get out of farming and had let the land sit for a while, but then you decided it needed to be farmed again. And so you describe a little bit about what you kind of uh, approached yeah, or, or got the word out that you were looking for renters. Talk a little bit about that, but then you have, because you have a background as an attorney, you had set up a, a really nice kind of template for the way you do your leases. Um, you didn't just say, okay, we're looking for renters, we got them. You kind of set up, this is what, we, you know, we, you guys had built up this farm. You had built up the soil health. You wanted that to continue kind of thing. We start out, if I go back to where your initial inquiry was about, uh, using Land Stewardship Project's farmers seeking farmers for connecting with individuals who wanted access to land. And, and the, the origins for our doing that through LSP in particular is because of, because of LSP's work helping farmers get started and the recognition through the Farm Beginnings Program and the recognition that uh, one of the largest challenges to those beginning farmers is having access to land. So when we were looking out over our fields at our small farm in western Wisconsin, we realized, well, here we do have some land that could be farmed, should be farmed in some cases. It's good 
quality for, for the land, and we wanted to make it accessible to those smaller operations that needed a place to start. So we used the Farmers Speaking Farmers networking system on, on the LSP website and connected with three vegetable farmers over the course of a couple months who were looking for three to seven acres each. First started off having a conversation between myself and my husband saying, well, what is it is important to us to talk about with these people? From that conversation together, we developed just a set of interview questions. I mean, it sounds a little funny, but we did want to know something about the land ethic of these individuals, what their experience had been, what equipment they might need, what ex- what expectations they had in renting somebody else's land. And so we had a lot of ground to cover, and for, for us it was just easier to do that in kind of an interview format. So we did that. Then as uh, the ones we inter- interviewed about five different people and decided three of them were it seemed like they were really going to work out, and we took the next step to talk those individuals through um, a lease agreement that we had developed, having talked with other farmers that had been in similar situations on prior properties. But I put together a combination of all those leases and then added a fair, a fair amount of my own provisions. It was just like, well, what, what if this happens or what if that happens? So they're lengthy and they might seem like overkill, to, especially if you're coming from renegotiating a lease agreement with an existing person who you've already been in agreement with because they are so, uh, because they cover so many details and, and it's understood that lots of those prior agreements have been just done on a handshake. And this mm-hmm. might feel like, wow, this is just so much formality. But so granted, this is coming from someone who you have not had. It makes most sense for someone you've not had or, or been in a rental agreement with. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of just putting down your expectations. And we figured that the first and foremost one of the in that particular agreement is that good communications are, are imperative and that we rather have lots of questions and have understanding about how things mm-hmm. will be operating on the farm rather than some, someone going ahead and doing something and then ask the question afterwards. So um, that's what we tried to head off, and then we really tried to model that behavior in all of our early communications with the farmers, and, and it proved to, to work really well. Not not flawlessly, but really well. So those were the couple of tools that we used to get ourselves started. That was three years ago. Those three farmers, all of them have stayed on for that and grown in the number of acres that they rented. Again, still saying with just vegetable production, there were small acreages, but two and two of those four farmers now are have managed to cash flow well enough that they could go out and get loans and are buying their own farms. So they're graduating on to... Um, their own homes, their own farm places. And uh, now we've got another farmer that's coming in to take one of their places. It's going to start very small um, because they're very early on in the process. Mm -hmm. And we've added a a grazer who's also doing a beef operation on our farm. So learning all the time, but it's it's been so far a really positive experience all the way around. I think that's a really good point that you make about the communication piece. But what were a couple really key questions that you, after you did the interviews, you went, oh, I'm really glad we asked those that those were brought up uh, kind of in a more formal setting? I think it was what duration of the contract uh, was really important. It was our sense that these were folks that needed to have enough time on our land in particular to get their operation up and going mm-hmm. and cash flowing. 
if, if it was going to work at all. So, and these individuals were going to be breaking sod for doing this because we had been a pasture-based business farm up until that point. So we had an understanding that we were open to having at least a three-year, having them there on the farm for three years. Mm -hmm. um, but we wrote the contract as a one-year lease. So we were always in a position to be able to revisit it, fine-tune it if we needed to. And that was very helpful um, to have just that structure in place. And as it turned out, they all have stayed the three years, and some are staying on for a fourth and fifth year. So coming to having an understanding, they knew that was one way that they knew that we as landowners were anxious to, uh, we understood the position they were in, and were anxious to have them succeed. We had a really nice compliment from our, one of the farmers that are leading us now that are moving on to their own farm that they really felt very uh, supported in being on our farm. And that was really our intention was to have them feel, feel supported, do, give them a place that they could do something that they may not have had an opportunity to do otherwise. And I think it's those small things, i.e. this lease agree just the length of the lease was an indication of here we are we're trying to present you with a situation that will if it's possible make it make it possible for you to succeed one of the things you'd mentioned was you really wanted to emphasize one soil health uh, building uh, technique which was cover cropping and at that that there was uh, you know, a situation where one of the renters that they just didn't get it done or so you kind of had to adjust the lease or I'm not sure exactly what you did, but can you explain what you kind of did to make sure that that going forward is something that's part of the situation? Yeah, that, the cover crops is something that's difficult, especially in vegetable production. And I have to put myself in their shoes and say, yeah, they're going to be harvesting their crops as late, their vegetables as late as they can into the season, which these winters have been, you know, into November these days. Well, it's too late to put a cover crop in that particular field when you're mm -hmm. just harvesting. But our challenge there was that it was, and again, I had to put myself in their shoes, their goal when they had limited hours and every day, was to harvest out as much as they could. Mm -hmm. And they had no real incentive for putting anything back on the land on those plots, those fields that they had actually harvested already in a timely fashion. They were always out there to sell the next uh, eggplant or tomato or whatever it was and get it and get it paid for by their customer. We initially had said, well, if you don't, uh, since we were going to put the cover crops in anyway, if they would not, the provision in the lease said that if they didn't get it done, then we'd have to charge them the cost of what it would cost us to put it in. And we thought that might work. Well, that even that didn't work. Um, unfortunately, and it, you know, it's no, we're not talking big bucks here, but it is kind of a, it's the, it's the health of the soil that we're mostly at the bottom line is mostly concerned about. So I think what we've decided to do this next coming year is just put an additional dollar per, per acre amount um, that would cover the cost of the cover crops on the lease amount and, and have it explained in to, you know, both in the language of the lease and also mm -hmm. talking about it, saying we're putting this on in the event that you don't get the cover crops in and we have to, we'll have the money. But in the event that you do, you've absorbed that cost, then we'll give that money back to you because it's not, we don't want to be, you know, uh, rewarding ourselves for something that doubly rewarding ourselves. So we're going to try that <laughs> and yeah. see if that might be a way of their appreciating that there is a cost there, have us have a, it'll be a prompt for the conversation of the importance that those cover crops are on these fields, and then hopefully it will actually get the work done in a, in a, fa in a timely fashion. Well, that really gets at the point of you 
tell them that hey we'd like to have this long-term relationship with you but we're gonna we have the we want to have the flexibility of adjusting the lease each year this is an example where that is right. a huge advantage right exactly yeah when you were first setting up that lease you had I think you had told me about you kind of did some extensive research on sources of information for that what kind of went into that lease where was it that you actually started from ground zero when you was like okay we're gonna actually write up a lease. Yeah, it was uh, from a, another one of the farmers that came to us had had a lease from their pre-existing, pre pre-existing, from, from their previous rental. Okay. And they said, here, if you need a help with the lease, here, take a look at this. So they got a, the agreement of the land owner in that case um, to share that lease. So they just shared that, and I took that and just uh, added on to it. Okay. And just and related to that, so what would be the first two or three steps you'd say, if somebody's thinking in a situation like this, what's the first two or three steps they should take to kind of either, maybe it's the middle of winter, maybe it's uh, probably a lot, a lot of people are leasing by winter, but let's say it's the end of the previous growing season, you're looking at the next spring, next growing season, What's and you want to set something like this up with a brand, you've never done it before. Have the conversation with other members of your family, if it's you and your partner or spouse or whatever, whomever, that you're in agreement that you're okay with renting out your land um, because there are inevitably the things are going to be done differently on your land than you would have done them yourself. And if you are not comfortable with that, it's a no non-starter. Mm -hmm. If you're comfortable with that with certain conditions, then those are the conditions that you want to have expressed in your conversations as well as put into the lease. And so the, you just have to be really clear about that, that, that you want. And, and in that, you know, one, you want to do this, but then what does it look like? Are you wanting to rent all of your acres out? Or what, yeah. what kind of uses are you okay having it be put to? Um, you need to, common, to find a common ground between the members of the family that will affect, uh, whoever is living there, obviously, and um, how you'll handle that. And reviewing what your resources are, what you want to make available. Do you want them rent them your tractor? Do you want to? Will you give them access to water? Are they going to have to bring in water? You know, uh, if you're doing grazing arrangements, who's the, who's providing the fencing? Can they use your fencing? Do they have to provide all their own fencing? Will they do their own fencing work? So everything that would be in that lease, you need to walk, talk through yourselves and say, where do we stand on this? Then begin to look for the farmers themselves. Uh, great resources within the Land Stewardship Project um, website, as well as the Farm Beginnings. Existing classes that are going on, those are people coming out of, the pro out of that course that are going to be needing places to start farming. So that would be another resource, you know, looking at those, who, those individuals that are going to need access to land, and then start your conversations. Next, NRCS Soil Health Specialist Kristen Brennan talked to me about how landowners and renters need to become a kind of team there to create a relationship based on good stewardship. Such teamwork means learning about and recognizing the potential for building healthy soil. It also means accepting the economic and logistical challenges farmers face when trying to put in place new, innovative practices. The most important thing to realize off the bat is that you are a team. You guys need to work together, um, and it's really important that you actually sit down and have a conversation with your renter. Find out what are your long-term goals as that landowner, and how does this compare to theirs as a renter? Do you both value stewardship and sustainability? That's probably the most important question. Uh, do you have the same values and ethics? Um, and is that a shared goal that you guys have? And then what are the expectations, and what are the things that you are not willing to compromise on? I think most rental agreements are relatively short-term. 
So for a lot of renters, there's very little incentive uh, in this idea of investing in long-term gains in soil health. Um, A lot of times we talk about this five-year hump uh, that it takes anywhere between three and five years when you're doing soil health before you can really see any sort of measurable benefits. Uh, We do have a lot of farmers that say, though, after just one year of changing their management practices that they can see a difference. So most renters, when they're in these short-term sort of rental agreements, won't be around to see or reap those benefits. But if you're able to find a renter uh, that you can work with who's open to making these changes, um, maybe you want to consider a longer rental agreement um, so that they can go on this journey with you and really take ownership uh, in the changes that you'll see over time. It's important to find somebody who's maybe a little bit open-minded, open to making changes in their management system. I have a a landowner that I work with who says it's kind of difficult sometimes to find renters who's even willing to make even the smallest of changes. Think about starting small and taking baby steps. Can you eliminate fall tillage? Are they willing to do that? Are they willing to make small changes in their equipment, maybe going uh, to a a straight point on their chisel versus a twisted point, which, you know, creates more disturbance? It's really easy to get really excited about soil health and want to jump in the deep end with both feet. You know, do 100% no-till and multi-species cover crops, and that's great. Yes, that's that's ultimately what we're hoping uh, to strive for, but that transition to that kind of system takes time um, and increased management. And so I think, yes, you want to promote soil health, but you also need to have this understanding that every change that that farmer makes in their management is going to lead to a different change. So Uh, If they're going to implement cover crops or reduce their tillage, um, it's going to impact the timing and the type of that tillage and how um, the use of their cover crops are going to impact their herbicide program. How are these changes going to impact the timing, the application method, and the type of fertility that they use? Uh, So really, it's it's not simple. You're not going to snap your fingers and make soil health happen. Everything is a moving part and component, and it's going to take time. So really, you need to sit down with your renter, discuss what equipment and resources they have, and what they're able to do within the bounds of those of of their limitations it's really important yes if there are demands things that you're not willing to compromise on but also keep in mind you don't want to set that bar too high Mm -hmm. try to put yourself in your shoes um, and be really open to working within the limitations that they have. They may not have the ability to go no-till, but maybe they could change their equipment, like we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, something that causes less disturbance, maybe minimize their tillage passes during the growing season. I think it's also useful to, to recommend trying something new on their most forgiving ground. We always say sometimes, oh, give it a try on the worst ground. But really, I think it's the opposite. You want them to succeed. So maybe have them try something new on their good, the good ground so that they have the most chances for success with soil health. Again, small steps, baby steps, really any movement in the right direction is, is progress. So we always say light, light a small fire and watch it burn. <laughs> if you can't find common ground with your producer, uh, don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry, I don't think this is going to work. The landowner that I was speaking to, he's fired a couple different renters uh, because they weren't even willing to try even the smallest of changes. But word gets out, he said, and then he soon had another person knocking at his door that was, was willing to work with him. So don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to sever that relationship. Um, and more than likely, there will always be somebody else who's interested in working with you. I think education is really key. Uh, the landowner that, that I was speaking with, um, he reads a lot and he attends a lot of, of soil health workshops and field days across 
across the state, and then he passes that knowledge on to his renters. And there's a lot going on all the time. I know Land Stewardship Project, uh, Sustainable Farming Association, uh, the universities, a lot of the county-level SWCDs put on workshops, and there's just tons of resources available online, on YouTube, uh, USDA, NRCS, their Soil Health webpage has just tons of information. They also have a YouTube channel that contains the science of soil health and the Hope and Healthy Soils um, YouTube videos that are really fantastic. Not only that, but don't forget that each county has a local NRCS field office. The way that my landowner uh, got to work with uh, his renter was they went into their local office. Uh, him and his renter met with the district conservationist and the resource soil scientist, and they talked about not only why, why soil health is important, but how do you make it work. Um, and NRCS uh, provides a lot of programs, uh, cost share programs that can help offset some of the costs of these practices. So if you ever have any questions, please don't hesitate to uh, contact your local NRCS office, the Soil and Water Conservation District, University of Extension um, are great resources. Most importantly, this is about legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? You want to leave the land better than you found it. You're building this resource for the next generation. This topsoil that we talked about that take, took so long to form, that's your legacy, and you don't want to see it washing or blowing away. So with time, you'll see these positive changes on your land, the reduction in erosion, improved water, uh, infiltration, improved nutrient cycling. And while many soil health farmers uh, see increased productivity and yield, it's really important not to focus on yields alone. Mm. Uh, it's even though we have improved efficiency and resiliency in the whole system, we're looking at what is your cost per acre, uh, not just yield. So if you can minimize your inputs and your diesel usage uh, by implementing soil health practices, that's really where you're going to reap the benefit. I think that's those are excellent points. And one of the things, the point that you kind of let off with was not to set the bar too high because it is super exciting what's happening with soil health right now. You can't pick up a farm magazine or uh, you know listen to a, a farm broadcast anymore without them talking about that. So it's easy to get really excited, see how some of the real innovators are out there having the success. But you need to kind of, like you said, take those baby steps. Right. And I think yeah, the other thing that we talked about today that was really important is if you have a neighboring farmer or someone in your community who's who's doing soil health and making it work, that is the best education that your renter can get is to connect with somebody who's making it happen and they can talk about the challenges, the things that have worked and have, haven't worked. Uh, so really it's it's best for farmers to learn from one another. But it is exciting and it's good to be excited and it is good uh, to have um, expectations. But yes, I also think there need to be realistic ones. I, just one other thing, and I think one of the ways to maybe have that positive conversation or do it in a positive light is soil health seems to be one of those things where eventually once it gets established and that soil is kind of self, uh, self-reliant, self that it, it can benefit the renter as well as the landowner kind of thing. It's kind of a win-win kind of thing. Absolutely. So what we've seen over time is when you can build this soil system that not only is cycling nutrients more efficiently, is, is infiltrating and holding water more efficiently, it's more resilient. So a lot of times today we talked about how less and less are we seeing, you know, a half an inch to an inch of rain over the course of the growing season, how it's becoming a lot more common to see these large bursts of rain four, five, six inches at a time. And so this this renter then will see that not only is he renting land that's just more efficient, but it's it's less of a risk for him because it can withstand these these intense rain events, these weather events that we're seeing, and hopefully have less of an impact on his on his bottom line. For more on the Land Stewardship Project's work to help landowners continue their stewardship legacy, 
see our Conservation Leases page at landstewardshipproject.org. There you'll find fact sheets, sample lease agreements, presentations, and links to other resources. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.